welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. You all ready for this? Okie dokie. Um, my name is Micah. I am the lead pastor here at Awaken, and I am thrilled to see your faces. So excited to be here this morning. We are in a series called Moses, creatively entitled Moses. And um, we, took a, we took a couple weeks uh, of a break from Moses, and I was kind of chomping at the bit, so I'm glad to be back. Last week, if you weren't here, we spent some time and revisited something that we do sort of every fall, which is really just to ask a question about who are we, and why, why are we here, and what are we doing, uh, what's sort of the vision, mission, values of Awaken. Uh, we talked about rhythms, these normal, repeatable patterns and habits that happen in our life together. We asked, like, what did that look like for the early church, the first church, the first Jesus followers? And then, and then therefore, what does that mean for us as a community? So uh, if you've ever read anything about, you know, ecclesiology, which is the fancy word for church, uh, up, in, and out, right? These are sort of rhythms that we find in the church, that we would gather together and tell and retell the story of Jesus, that we would live life together, and we call those life groups, smaller groups of people, and then that we would be about the world. We would be about something other than ourselves, that we would serve and be living missionally, as it were, living on mission in the world. So those are kind of the rhythms at Awaken, and we want those to be a part of our life, and we've, we've sort of set up our, our, our entire system and structure as a, as a community around those ideas. So uh, that's just review from last week. This week, we're returning to Exodus and Moses. And man, is anybody else just falling in love with this guy? Or maybe you just really are liking him more than you did before. I, I, I mean, what a story, right? I mean, just fantastic. One of the best of all the stories ever. Uh, you know, he's born to this woman who, you know, takes every precaution to sort of care for and ensure whatever safety she can for her baby boy. Puts him in an ark, as it were, uh, the literal word in the Hebrew, not a wicker basket, but an ark. Same as Genesis 6, we find, and then, and then found by another woman who will not sort of tow the party line, right? She sort of stands up, and this is not common for women to do. One of the beautiful women of the story of God, that this, the Pharaoh's daughter essentially says no to the most powerful man on the planet. Uh, how you like that? And she says, no, I'm going to care for this child. Takes him in and like mothers him. Uh, then we find Moses wandering out in the desert for uh, quite a while. He, uh, he, he then goes to the mountain of God, which is also known as destruction because that's kind of how it feels sometimes, right? Something's about to die or be destroyed and, and we fight that, though it probably ought to be and need to be. We push back and we're like, ah, you know, and that's a little hot in the kitchen, right? But he goes to the mountain of God known as destruction um, and, and then he, he sees this burning bush that's not consumed and he turns aside and so that's kind of where we find ourselves now. He's then invited into this epic story, this epic, epic journey, also known as the Exodus. So Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, and I will read, if you will stand and join me as we read God's word, says this, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it like you do. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, 
The God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. And so Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, "Ah, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave humans their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them go blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. But Moses said, "Ah, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please just send somebody else. And then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak. He's already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hands so that you can perform these signs with it. Pray with me. God, what a story. I mean, uh, I, I just imagine what that was like. You know, you're talking to Moses, and then he says, yeah, you know, hang, hang, hang on a minute here, uh, and how many times we've been there where we felt like you were inviting us to something. And whatever it was rose up inside of us, and we said, pardon me, Lord, your servant says. So I pray that as we study and we get into this story, that uh, it would become more than just words on a page, that it would become more than black and white text, but that it would really live in us, and that it would study us, that we would open ourselves up to it in such a way that uh, the living God that I believe is behind the pages of this text would meet us here today. And all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat. I mean, what an unbelievable story, right? So Moses, he's out in the desert. He comes up on this bush. It's burning. It's not consumed. He turns aside to see what this thing is. At that moment, God speaks, and he begins to have this conversation with Moses. Hey, Moses, I want you to go and get my people to which all of the junior high youth pastors in the world said, thank you for the best song ever written, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go, oh baby, you know what I'm saying. So he says, go get my people back. They're in Egypt and I want you to, come and, I want you to go and get them and bring them out. And there, be, there begins this dialogue, this conversation between a bush, which is burning but not being consumed, which is also known as God, like, because that's of course what they taught you in school, and, and Moses, and, and he goes back and forth with God, back and forth. Now, I read 17 verses, and I want to preach on one. Uh, that is the first verse of chapter 4. He says, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? I think that there's something here that is right uh, 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 near the surface for many of us day to day every day of our lives, which is this idea of fear. I remember when I was a kid, I, uh, I had four brothers, and uh, one of them had done something to upset me, and I was really hot. You know, like, I'm going to make them pay for whatever it is they have done to me. And so I decided to run away. 
like you do, right? Because, you know, like, they'll miss me when I'm gone. You're going to miss me when I'm gone. So, so I say, I'm going to run away. So I do. I run away, and I find myself upstairs in my bedroom in a closet behind all of our hockey bags. This, is, this was my hiding spot. I had not thought this through very well. Have you ever stuck your head in a hockey bag? I mean, it is just bad, bad news, friends. Really bad news. So there I am. I, 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 I'm in the closet behind all these hockey bags, and I, I will wait them out. You know, like, I can wait. The teacher... So I'm waiting there, hours go by. People are coming up the stairs, coming. I'm like, oh, they're coming for me now. Down the stairs they go. Up the stairs, oh yeah, they're coming to look for me now. And down the stairs they go. And I think I was up there for like four or five hours underneath this, in this closet, in this stanky hockey bag corner. And finally, finally, I broke. Because I had to pee so bad. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Actually, I took care of that. I thought that through. I didn't have to go to the bathroom, but I thought to myself, what if nobody comes? Like, what if they don't come looking for me? What if they don't miss me? What if they don't know that I'm gone and nobody notices? That's no small secret that if you've been around Awaken, two of my greatest fears are being alone and being abandoned. I think it may have started in that closet. It's such a big deal in our world. I mean, it is the thing that can paralyze you or just kill whatever is inside of you, whatever is trying to grow. Fear, it just arrests you. It's the thing that, that can motivate you from like the deepest recess of your soul to preserve and protect yourself. That's fear that just wells up and so you do something, you, you act Fear is often used to manipulate or coerce or motivate or move people. I mean, heck, it was, the, it was, the hit, it was a hit TV show for a while in, when I was in high school. Fear Factor. And then it became the theme of a billion junior high retreats. Fear Factor, learn how to live with not fear or without fear. or Those were dumb. I'm pretty sure I led one of those. You know, and you did, we did. We did a Fear Factor retreat. I totally did it. You know, like people had to eat worms and crickets and all those stupid things. Yeah. But fear is what sells movie tickets. It's what motivates political races. It's often right below the surface when you're talking about religious conviction and fundamentalism. Fear. It's as if fear has become its own person. Like it's got its own voice. It's sort of self-actualized. Has anybody seen Her, the movie Her? You're looking at me like deer in headlights. Joaquin Phoenix, yeah. I mean, like, wowzers, you know. Wow. W-O-W, wow. Wow. Um, (laughs) That was an old youth group trick. Stop doing that. You're wearing a sport coat. Come on. (laughs) Amazing, amazing film where this operating system actually, like, actualizes and becomes a person. Fascinating, fascinating philosophical conversation. Uh, but it's like fear, it's become its own person, it has its own voice, and yet in the scriptures we hear, fear not, it's the most, it's the most uh, used command in the Old Testament, fear not. And Paul says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of one of power and of love. So today I want to explore fear. And I want to I look at this first verse of Exodus chapter 4, because I think it just opens the door to a whole conversation about what is fear and what role does it play in our lives. So first, if you look at this, uh, this verse again, it says, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen, listen to me and say, 
Most translations say something like, Moses said, but they will not trust me, or they will not dot, dot, dot. But if you like, look at the painstakingly literal translation of this verse, it literally says, but look. The first verse, the first words in this passage, some of your translations may say, behold. That's as close as an English translation gets to the, to the actual word that's used there. But it most faithfully could be translated, but look. I want to suggest that fear invites you to look at something. Fear invites you to fixate on something. Fear invites you to see something. And, and fear, if you've ever been afraid, uh, there's like a tape playing in your mind, and it's as if it's the only thing that's there. It's all that you can see. We've talked about this before, but like in your mind's eye, what you see actually becomes, uh, or, or you interpret it as real to the degree to which you see it in your mind. You could say that differently to say the images or the pictures or the tapes or the voices that you hear and you see in your mind's eye actually have the capacity to control and emote or bring something up in you. So when you're scared and you feel nervous or you start sweating or you get cotton mouth or you start like freaking out, that begins with an image that you see in your head or a voice that you hear in your mind. Fear invites you to fixate, and to see something. And it's all the ways that you don't measure up. It's all the things that you lack. It's all the ways that you don't have what it takes. Look at those things. Fear says, but look. Moses begins chapter 4 and says, but look, what if they... But look. In the scriptures, there are these, narr- there are these rivers of conversation or these themes that sort of play throughout the story of God. One of them is Seeing. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 34, if you will. This is the end of the book of Deuteronomy. It's the last chapter. And it is a stunning conversation between God and Moses. So this is fast forward all the way to the end of Moses' life now. Okay, We're in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4 says this. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pishkah across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead in the south to Dan in the north all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, which is the desert in the south, the valley, the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your own eyes, but you will not cross over into it. What? is happening here. Imagine you're Moses. You have done it all. You saw the bush. You stopped. It was burning. God spoke. You're like, dude, not me. He says, yes, you. You bring Aaron. You go to Pharaoh, the most powerful guy on the planet. You're like, dude, I think God wants you to let his people go. Oh, baby, yeah. You, those guys. You take the Israelites out of Egypt. You wander across the Red Sea where it's parted, and there's water on the right and water on the left. You wander them through the desert. You get them all the way to the promised land, and God takes you on top of this mountain and says, here it is. All that I have promised you, and guess what? All you can do is see it. You'll never get to go into it. I'd be like, what? you got to be kidding me. Come on, come on. You remember Billy Martin, the old baseball manager? Come on, God, that's a joke. I mean, can you just, like, are you there? You're not. I obviously am. <laughs> I mean, this is, like, unbelievable. It's, it's just crazy town. 
I used to read this passage, and I, I was like, what? That is so mean. Like, oh, you can see it, but you can't touch it. You can see it, but you're never going to step foot in it. I used to think, that is a mean trick, you old, dirty man, to God. That's how I felt about it. Another sermon for another day. There is something happening just below the surface of this text that is stunningly beautiful. And all that appears to be there, actually, there's something else going on here. You excited for that one? That's the end of this series. Now, that's, the, that's the last sermon I'm going to preach on Moses. And it is going to be dynamite. But for now, here he is. He's standing on top of Mount Nebo. If you know the land of Israel, right? Mediterranean Sea, Israel's this long, skinny, narrow. We're talking southeast. This is where the Israelites come into the land from modern-day Jordan, okay? Mount Nebo, he takes them up to the top of it, and he says, Look, everything that I promised you, here it is. One small and seemingly in- insignificant problem, the Judean mountains. <laughs> you probably have no idea what I mean by that. Here's the thing. If you're standing where Moses is standing... You can't see almost everything that God says you can see. Because the mountains that would go from the Negev in the south up to Jerusalem, all the way north to the Sea of Galilee, block the entire view. What has just been said? Here it is, all of it, before you, for you to see. I want to suggest that in the scriptures, there's a different kind of seeing. That there is seeing like what's in front of you. And there's this but look that fear invites you to. But there is another kind of seeing that the people of God are invited to live in. And it's the kind of seeing that this rabbi guy that I study with, he says, this is seeing in eternity. This is seeing through the eyes of the garden. This is seeing what actually is, not what's in front of you. This is to see with the lens of resurrection. This is to see through something that has happened that has changed the reality and the landscape of the world that we live in. And though you might see something right in front of you, that there might actually be something else going on here. Fear says, but look. Look at what's in front of you. Look, you can't do that. Look, you, can, you don't measure up. Look, look, fixate on it. See it. And we play it over and over and over and over again. Fear says, but look. All the ways that you don't, you won't, you can't, you shouldn't, you won't. But the invitation of Yahweh is something far different. It's, oh, but look. Look at what I have done. Look at who you are. Look at what I have for you. Look at what is in you. Look at what I want to come out of you. Fear says, no, look, you don't have it. You can't do it. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. Your voice, but look, which seeing will you live by? What will you see? Fear invites you to see all the lack and all the inadequacies, all the inadequacy. And then it, and then it says, they won't listen. Look at what Moses says in verse, in verse one. What if they, but look, what if they do not believe me or listen to what I say? Fear says that what you have to say is insignificant. Fear says that what you have to say is not of value. That you're not qualified. That you don't have the credentials or the pedigree or the success to be able to stand there in your 
name and speak whatever truth it is that is in you. Fear says you don't have, they won't listen. Not only is seeing a river of conversation in the scriptures, but I would submit to you that hearing is also a river of conversation in the scriptures. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy 30, verse 2. This is God speaking to the Israelites, and he says this, And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all of your soul, according to everything I command you today. Now, if you were to dig here a little bit and look at the literal translation of this passage, it literally says, if you would hear in God's voice and then turn back. What does it mean to hear in God's voice? I'm wondering, the the tapes that play in your head, the voice that you hear, whose is it? Teacher? A parent? A sibling? What does it mean to hear in God's voice? So when the lights go out and it's quiet and you're the only one there, the voice that plays in your head is not all of the ways that fear invites you to not or that fear invites you to see all the lack that you have, but it's a different voice that says this is who you are. This is what your name is. To hear in God's voice. Hearing becomes very important in the story of God. 1 Kings chapter 1, excuse me, 1 Kings 3. This is Solomon. If you remember this story, Solomon becomes a king of Israel, the wisest man ever in Israel and in the world. Uh, Verse 9 of chapter 3 of 1 Kings says, this is what he says to God. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And again, if you are painstakingly literal with the translation, what Solomon asks for, he says, give your servant a hearing heart so that he may judge between tov and ra. Tov is this word we've talked about before in Genesis 1 where God says, and it was good. It's all of the ways that we give life to things that have the seeds of future life in it. It's all the ways that God invites us to participate in his creation. It's all the ways that we say yes to that and we engage. And what comes out of there, what comes from that place, is these beautiful uh, things that are life-giving that have the seeds of future life in them. It's like it just keeps going. It's a generative thing. God calls that good. So Solomon's response is, God, give your servant a hearing heart so that he might judge between Tov and Ra. Ra is evil in Hebrew. Our fear is that what we have to say is insignificant and of no value. Fear says they won't listen. But speaking begins with hearing. And if we hear all the voices that we've heard or all the people who have said, whatever it is they've said, it leads us to a place where there is no life. But when we learn to hear in God's voice and have a hearing heart, one that hears what Yahweh hears, what happens then? Tov. All of the things that God has put in you, all of the ways that God has said yes to you, all of the ways that the the, the seeds of life that are already present right here, right now, When we learn to hear in God's voice, those things actually start to grow. And these are the people that are compelling. These are the people in your life who you're like, I just, I really, really, really need to spend time with that person because when I'm with them, I'm better. They bring life out of me. Hearing in God's voice, hearing with God's heart. Fear says they won't listen, 
What you have to say, it's insignificant. What you want to offer, what you want to produce, what you want to get involved in, no one will listen, no one will care. Hearing or speaking begins with hearing. And when we hear in God's voice, when we hear in God's heart, different things happen. It's a different path. This is what Deuteronomy 30 is all about. I put before you life and death right here, right now. And it is not far from you. It is close to you. You know it, so choose life. This is the offering that Scripture over and over and over again gives to you. But fear says they won't listen, but look. And it says they will say. They will say. Three words. Man, lots there. Our fear is what they might say about me and what that means for who I am and what value I have. Let me say that again. Fear, our fear is what they might say about me and what that means for who I am and what I'm worth. Who is they? Who are the they's in your past, in your story? Who are the people who have spoken words of death over you? They. And what they have said about you How far do we let that in? Mark chapter 1. There's this one of my favorite moments in the Gospels. Jesus, of course it's the answer is Jesus, in Mark 1 is with John the Baptist. He's about to be baptized in the Jordan. And this moment of Mark 1 verse 9 says, At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Question, what has Jesus done in Mark's gospel so far? Not a trick question. Nothing. Zero, zed, nada, zilch. He hasn't healed anybody. He hasn't spoken any words of prophecy. He hasn't taught anything. He hasn't done anything of significance. But there he is at the River Jordan. And what's the voice that he hears? Uh, I'm not sure you got it in you. I don't know if you can. I don't know if you can make it. I'm not. No, you are my son, and I love you. I am pleased with you. I am overboard for you. I think you are incredible. Not because you've done anything. Not because you've spoken any words of hope. Not because you've healed anybody. Just because you are my son. That's what he hears from God. And I wonder if that isn't a message that somebody needs to hear today. The church has done a really bad job of letting people know God's disposition towards you is... You are my son. You are my daughter. And I love you. That's what God feels about you. That's how God sees you. Not because you've done anything. So whatever it is you're trying to do, just stop. It's not working. It's not going anywhere. Just stand there and receive whatever it is that God has for you, which is I love you.
They are poisonous. Whoever they are. A couple of questions that I think it, we might do well to ponder. What are they saying? And who are they? One that snuck up on me a while ago was, who told me that? Who told you that? Who told you that you weren't qualified? Who told you that you weren't a very good mom? Or that you need to spend more time with your kids? Who told you that? Who told you that you don't deserve that job? Or you're not qualified to do that? Or you don't have the experience? Or that your past failures, they render you useless? Or your voice silent? Who told you that? Who told you that you were too heavy, too skinny, you asked too many questions, you're not strong enough, you're too old. Who told you that? Who told you that? Sometimes in life there are people who love you and that you trust, who say hard things that you need to hear. But more often than not, we give people airtime that do not deserve airtime, and we listen to them, and it kills you. This church almost didn't happen because I almost listened to, the, to they, to them, who said, Micah, you're not a good teacher. Actually, you're not a very good leader. You kind of just mess up everything. Your immaturity, it's sort of like you think it's funny, but it's really not. It was paralyzing. And this place that has become home for me and for you almost didn't happen because I almost listened to they. This is life and death at times. This is like hope and joy or not. Who are they and who told you that? This is my son and I love you. Fear says, but look. Look at all these things that you can't do. Look at all these ways that you've messed it up. Look at all these mistakes that you've made. Look at all these places where you dropped the ball, where you didn't say the right thing, where you didn't show up and you should have showed up. Look at all the ways you could have, should have, and didn't. Look, see them? Now play them again and again and again. Fear says, they won't listen to you. Whatever is in you, it's really not that significant, and it's of no value, and you should probably just keep it to yourself. And fear says, they might say so-and-so and such-and-such such about you. And how does God respond to Moses in this moment of fear and doubt and insecurity? You'll have to come back next week. Because <laughs> I don't have enough time for it, but it is juicy. Here's what I want to do as we close. I think that this is real and I think that there is a pulse here and so I want to just hover here for a minute. As I was preparing for this, coincidentally, I received a link from my friend Jeff to a blog. I don't typically read blogs, no offense to you if you blog. Some people love them, I just uh, I find myself wasting time doing other things that are of insignificance. <laughs> So I'm reading this blog. That sounded terrible. I'm not saying that bloggers are insignificant. If you're 
me try that again. So this week as I was preparing, my friend Jeff sent me this link to a blog. And I followed it. And I started reading. And I was just captivated by what was being written by my friend Jess. And I just thought, wow, how bizarre, how interesting that I would find this link and read this this week. And I just feel like it was kind of orchestrated. So I said to Jess, hey, what are the odds that you'd want to read that at Awaken this week? Because I feel like it's right where we're going to be. And she said, I'd love to. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask Josh and the band if you guys would find your spots. Jess is going to come and she's going to read um, this piece that she's written. And uh, I want to invite you to just really listen to what's being said. So whatever that looks like for you, if you want to close your eyes, if you want to bow your head, if you want to stare at the ceiling or the floor. Or, um, and she's going to read this piece. Uh, and then I want to just kind of lead you in a little reflection um, after that. And, and then we'll close with one song that Josh uh, is kind of going to just sing over us and for us. Um, so, um, my friend Jess. Who are you listening to? Do you listen to them? I have. Why? Who are they? And why do I give them so much power? Paralyzed by what they might think. Nameless, faceless opinions. Do you listen to should? I have. Why? Should is an ordinary but insidious word. The definition for insidious is really perfect for the way should acts. Should entraps or beguiles. It is stealthily treacherous or deceitful. It operates or proceeds in an inconspicuous or seemingly harmless way, but actually with grave effect. Should is that expectation that we hold for ourselves and the expectation that we think others hold for us. Should does not let us enjoy where we are at. It guilts us into thinking that there is always something else we should be doing. How can I be present when should is tapping me on the shoulder? What would happen if we shushed the shoulds? What would happen if we listen to the deep needs of our souls, listen to love. Do you listen to fear? I have. Why? Fear screams. The fear of missing out. The fear of disapproval. The fear of being wrong. The fear of messing up. Fear paralyzes. Fear shrivels our souls. Fear tightens and closes our hearts. But love breaks our hearts wide open. Opposite ends of the emotional spectrum. Opposite physical reactions. Fear closes us off. 
love opens us up. Fear, should, and they are noisy in our world, competing for our attention. Their cacophony drowns out the one voice that matters. How can we move toward this? This is how sweet and free of fear I feel now in myself. Beyond opinion and judgment, undistracted by guilt, I am walking strong and steadily home, not timid or uncertain, with my eyes splendidly clear, all one pearl of gratefulness. No fear. The friend is still whispering in my ear. That was from Rumi. Maybe it is in the whisper. Can you hear it? The whisper that leads you home? The whisper that conquers fear, judgment, opinion, and guilt? What would happen if we listened? Really listened to the one who whispers. And just let those questions kind of sink in. Maybe there's one that stands out for you. What is it that you've looked at, that you're fixated on, that you see? What if what you have is significant and of value? What would happen if you let it out? What are the ways that we let they silence our voice? who God is calling us to be. So I just want to invite you to sit with those questions and sit with the one who whispers, who speaks. Maybe God has something for you today. Maybe for the first time. Maybe it's just subtle. It's simple. I love you. Maybe it's something connected to your story. But just for the next minute or so, just sit with those questions and sit with the one who, who speaks. And Josh is going to sing this song. Just invite you to listen. others are sick. Some of you have hopes and dreams that have never been realized. Some of you want kids. Some of you want a job. Some of you want your parents to just love you. And I know that it's just, it's all here. And so my prayer and my hope for you, for us as a community, that we would be a community that runs to the God who says, I'm making all things new. And sometimes between now and then, we don't get answers. 
and it's not black and white, and it's not easy. But we hang on. We literally hang on this thread of hope that what happened to Jesus is true, and it's real, and it changes everything. And in our sorrow and in our grief, we weep and we cry. And we bang the table and we kick things because it's not the way it should be. And we hang on that thread of hope that resurrection happened and that God is making all things new. And so I offer that to you as a reminder today, as an encouragement, that together, when it's bad, we'll be together. And when it's good, we'll be together. And then one day, all will be made right. And that's the gospel. So run to it. Live for it. Make your life about it. Build your life on it. Amen? Grace and peace. Love you guys. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.